Our first reading is taken from Jonah, chapter 1, a full chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. And then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it became calm. I know this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The second reading today is uh, taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. For they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many hats you wear, not literally, but I wonder how many rules you have in your life. If you stop to think, the different ways in which your life is played out, the different aspects of your life. Think back over the last week, probably a work context, a neighbourhood context, a family context. I look back over my week, I'm a mother, got two boys getting back to university takes up a lot of time and thinking. 
I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, I'm a sister. I have roles in work, different roles in a work context as well. Then there's all the rest of my life, all the things that make me me, the ways in which I like to fill my time. I could carve my life up, as we could all, into many, many different slices. But it's all me, isn't it? But actually, sometimes we compartmentalise our lives and we feel as if we're different people. I was saying to my son the other day, he's about to go to a different place um, to study than he's been for the last three years. And we were joking, saying he could reinvent himself because nobody knows him. He could turn up there and he could actually have a different name, he could have different hobbies, he could wear different clothes, have a different haircut. He said to me, he says, actually, Mum, I haven't got the energy. It would take far too much energy to reinvent myself. But this is sort of dream I have. I think I could go somewhere where nobody knows me and pretend I'm somebody completely different. And just for a moment, I think, wow, that would be so exciting, wouldn't it? Just to, and, you know, the things I wished I'd done, I could suddenly have become. Um, it would be amazing. Our lives have many aspects in them. The challenge as Christians is for God to feature in every aspect of our life. Rather than compartmentalise our God side into one of the chunks of the bits of life that make me me. The challenge is to think that whoever I am, in whatever context I am in, whatever I am doing, I am a child of God. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be thinking about stewardship, about what it means to live lives that are committed to God, to live lives that every aspect can say, yes, God is part of that bit of my life. And we're going to think about what that might mean. Today we're thinking about that, that sense of the whole of our lives belonging to God and the challenges of that and what that might mean for us. Then we're going to think more specifically. We're going to think, you know, what does it mean the way I use my possessions? What does it mean for the way I use my time? What does it mean for the way I spend my money? If I believe that I'm a child of God, that every part of my life belongs to God, the decisions I make about the rest of my life flow out of that. And I will be able to look at that quite practically to think what might God be saying to each and every one of us. Now, we won't be saying the same thing because we're all different as well. We're all individuals. But God has a call on our lives because of who he is. Last week, We started the whole series by thinking how great thou art. Our poster is up there. What an amazing God we have, who has given us so much, who offers us so much, who has created the world in which we live, who has given us the people around us, who comes alongside us, who loves us. We have an amazing, almighty, generous God. And the challenge is to emulate that in our own lives. To acknowledge and accept all that God has for each one of us and for that then to flow through us into the rest of our lives and particularly into those areas that we'll look at over the coming weeks. So we're going to begin with the big picture. The big picture of this sense of our whole life belonging to God but how that's quite difficult. 
In reality, we do prefer to have our little segments where I can go into work and that's who I am there. I can come home and I can be like that there. And I come to church and actually sometimes it's as if none of the rest of my life's kind of hold together. But actually that's not what God is asking of us. So we've had two quite intriguing passages. What on earth are these passages telling us about how we might live our lives? So we start with Jonah. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, it's an amazing story. It's fantastic. Go home and read the rest of it. It's only four chapters long, so it's quite short, but it's really exciting. It's the kind of the one that all the children like to read, the adventure story of Jonah who gets swallowed by the whale. Jonah, he, Jonah does get swallowed by the whale and he gets spat out and you, know, you wonder how he manages to live inside the whale for three days. But the premise of this episode is that Jonah has heard God ask him to do something. And Jonah says, I don't want to do it. And he tries to run the other way. God is a generous God. And God is saying to Jonah, I am a generous God. I'm a God who loves my people. And there's a group of people over in Nineveh. It's not a great place. You don't like it. Nobody likes it. They're terrible people. Nobody wants to be there. I've given them lots of chances and they haven't listened to me. And really they deserve all that is going on. They deserve not to know my love because of the way that they are acting. And that's what everybody else is thinking all around. And Jonah's thinking that, saying, well, they owe it to themselves. They've brung it on themselves. They, they, you know, they, they don't deserve any second chances. And God says, but I love them. They are my people and I love them and I want to offer them a second chance. And Jonah, you're the one that's going to do it. You are going to go and tell them how much I love them. And because I love them so much, I want them to change their ways because they are not living the lives that are bringing them that happiness that means that they can know my presence with them. And I want you to go and tell them. And Jonah says, I'm going the other way. And off he goes. And he ends up on the the boat and there's a, a storm and there's a shipwreck and he knows it's his fault and he says chuck me out into the sea and the the sailors throw him into the sea he gets swallowed up by the whale he gets spat out after being in there for three days he sits on the island he's rescued and he's still pretty cross and at the end he says to god i really am very cross because you still are wanting to help these people in nineveh but i'm going to go and he goes and god's people there find that they can come back to him. It is an amazing story, but it's an amazing story that speaks firstly of God's generosity, where we all begin, all that God has done in our lives, and then the call on our lives and how we respond to it. And Jonah does not want to respond. He wants to say, I want to pretend that part that I've heard, I've heard you speak, but I want to shut off that aspect of my life, that aspect of what you're telling me to do, and I want to run the other way. Contrast that with the other passage that we had, the disciples, who didn't actually know who Jesus was. Amazing. They're carrying out their everyday work and Jesus comes along and he says, come, leave what you've been doing and come follow me. And they do and they drop everything and they follow and commit their lives to being with Jesus. So the two opposites, and hopefully we're somewhere sort of in the middle. We're not right at the extreme of Jonah. But very few of us, none of us, are actually 100% able to say that every aspect of my life, but that's where we're aiming. So we sort of sit in this middle, knowing the polarities of how we might be. 
We contrast the generosity of God with the lack of generosity in our lives. The lack of that willingness to live the lives that God calls us to do. And we do that by shutting off different aspects of our life. Why? Why, why, why? When we come and we praise God with our lips, we know of his goodness. We want to do all that we can. We long for it. And yet somehow... We can't quite do it. That sense of opening up every part of our life, choosing to live transformed, generous lives, is really hard. Why? A few reasons. It takes a lot of effort. It takes effort that sometimes we feel we haven't got. Sometimes those aspects of our lives are like spinning plates and there's 150 of them going around all the time. And to try and bring God into those, you think, gosh, I haven't even got the effort. I'm struggling to keep the plates spinning as it is. I'm struggling to get up every day and just to survive the day with all the demands on my life. To actually stop and think, where is God in that part of my life is more than I can actually cope with at the moment. The irony is, if we could how much easier our lives would flow. Because doing it on our own is the hardest. The plates will still be spinning, but allowing them to spin with God in our lives, it actually helps so much more. But sometimes it just feels too much effort. It's just too difficult. There is too much going on. We're busy stopping to spend time with God. Carving out time for him. Even remembering that he's there. There's a lovely book by um, Brother Lawrence who talks about the the practice of the presence of God. Who actually says, we don't necessarily have to stop and say, here's my God time. But allow God to be with us in everything that we're doing. He was a monk and he worked in the kitchen. And he was very busy. But as he peeled the potatoes or washed the dishes, he met God in those moments. If we could begin to see that actually God wants to meet us in the busyness, rather than being another task, another job, another duty, that actually the effort becomes less effort when God is with us in that. How much easier that would be. But there is a reality that we're busy, that we have full lives, and it feels like a massive effort to recognize God in every aspect of my life. Sometimes it might be because we're reluctant to stand out from the crowd. If I'm going to live my life for God, what am I going to look like in my workplace, in the school playground, in my family? And actually we, we keep dying that side of our faith and our life with God. Because we might just look a little bit odd. We might actually stand out in a way that's difficult for us. People might make comments to us. And so we're reluctant. So we keep parts of our lives slightly separate. Because that's a little bit safer. It might be actually could be a little bit too challenging. If I stand here and say I'm willing to give the whole of my life to God, what is he going to ask me to do? We always think he's going to ask us to do the last thing we want to do. 
And so we just hold back that little bit because if I really open myself to God, he's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. Again, we've got it so wrong because God knows us and he loves us. And what he calls us to do is what he's made us to be. And the more that we offer our lives to God and allow him to transform us and influence our lives, the more we are living as the people he's made us to be. And yet we haven't quite grasped that. And we hold back because it might just be he sends us to Africa when we don't like snakes. Or he sends us to work in the city when actually it would be easier just to, to not do that. We assume that God is going to ask us something we don't want to do. And yet when we turn to the scriptures, we see the people that he has called and they become his people, shining in the ways that he has made them. Why? Why do we fear that? But we do. It just seems too challenging. He might ask us something we can't do. Well, actually, we can't do it on our own. We do it with him and in him. And he equips us and provides us with all that we need. Perhaps one of the biggest things that prevent us from actually being willing to to give our lives over to God is fear. Because we live in fear. And we just don't quite know what it's going to mean to hand over more of our lives to God. Lots of very good reasons why we just keep our parts of our lives just slightly separate. The effort and busyness, the reluctance to stand out from the crowd, it's too challenging and we're scared. And these are all very real reasons. This series is not about helping us feel more guilty because that's going to be the worst thing possible. If we go away thinking, here's another load to put onto my burdens. I'm not giving enough of my life to God. I'm going to worry about that all week now. I will have achieved absolutely nothing. I feel that God wants us to look at this at this point in time. And I've actually, I I don't normally do this, but I'm actually going to preach for the whole of this series. Because I feel it's an important time in our church's life to say, "Let's, let's hear what God is saying to us about the choices we make, about the lives that we live. Not that we're suddenly going to change all our lives, but we bring God into our lives. But it's not about feeling guilty. It's about spending time hearing God and hearing what he is saying. Because deep down I really do believe that what he wants for us is what is best for us. And all those reasons that prevent us from doing it are man-made human-made reasons that say, this is why I'm not going to open up more of my life to God. And actually, the more we open up our lives, the more his love pours in, the more we are able to experience his generosity. And it's that generosity that then flows through us and out into the way we live our lives. One thing that I hear quite a lot from people here and everywhere every church I've been in, is the sense that we don't quite, we're not quite there yet. We, we gauge ourselves on our Christian journey. And we, we limit how much we allow God to come in by what we think we know. And we'll say things like, oh, I don't quite know enough yet. 
I don't quite know my Bible as well as the person next to me. I'm not quite able to to lead that home group study because actually I don't quite feel I'm far enough in my understanding about faith. If we're on that journey, I'm afraid we're never ever going to get anywhere because we're never going to know enough. And we've actually got to accept that. That our journey with Jesus is far more about knowing who he is than knowing about him and understanding the theology of it all. It came up on the Alpha video clip. I went with questions, looking for answers, and I realised it was about a relationship. And again, I think sometimes we need to shift our, our mindset that says, I've got to know everything about Jesus in order to be able to then fully open up my life to him. I do not know very much about God in that sense of knowledge and understanding. I'm not an academic. I, I go to a clergy book club, which sounds a bit scary, and it is a bit scary. And actually, I sit there thinking, goodness me, I don't know anything at all. And it's wonderful for me, because actually it does challenge my mind. And I'm not saying we mustn't challenge our mind. We must do. But I sit there, totally feeling inadequate, but feeling quite okay with that, because it's not about what I know. I accept I don't know everything. I'm very happy to accept I don't know everything. And I want to learn more. And I'm in a situation where I will learn a whole lot more through people who are much better educated than I am and who will use terminology I don't even understand. I have to go home and look up my dictionary and think, what was that he was talking about? Oh, yes. Okay. But never do I doubt that they know Jesus better than I do. They might know about him and be able to put terminology on it in that sense of learning. But we all can have the same relationship with Jesus, no matter how much we know. And I think the biggest reason that we are reluctant to offer our lives to God, and we use, it's whatever terminology works for you, that might sound really scary, offering my life to Jesus, and it's terrible in churches, we use churchy language. But this whole sense of actually being open to God working in the whole of our lives, I think one of the biggest reasons that we are reluctant to do that is that we lack confidence in who he is. It's not about what we know. It's not about what we don't know. It's about knowing him for who he is. My longing over the next few weeks is that we grow in confidence in who Jesus is in our lives. We're not going to become theology students. But if we can say, I know that Jesus is at work in my life. I can testify to all that he does. I can stand and say how great thou art. I can praise my Lord because he is my Lord. That's all we need to do. We come to know him for who he is. We open ourselves up to him. And his love flows through us. And then we want to give more of our lives to him. I have umpteen hats that I wear through the week. And a lot of the time I'm not thinking about God at all. Hand on heart. Because life's busy. And I make decisions based on what's coming into my mind at that point in time. And I don't stop and pray before every decision I make.
But I know that Jesus walks with me through every aspect of my life. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I know that he leads and guides me when I forget to turn to him. Because I long for him to do that. Because I've known him in my life and I see him move and I see him answer prayers that I haven't even asked. And then I want to offer more and more. And when I do have that space and time to say, Lord, how would you have me use my time? And I am asking that more and more at the moment. Because my challenge is, I can spend my whole week doing godly things, but are they the right godly things? And Jesus, what would you have me do this week? Do I need to do some admin to help the running of your church? Do I need to be out with your people? Do I need to be on my own with you? On my knees, seeking you coming and speaking to me to give me words to speak to your people? I have to make choices every week and I have to go to God and say, Lord, show me how to use my time this week. And that's in a good job. We all have that chance of coming and saying, how would you have me use my time? How would you have me use my possessions? Our house is stuff, full of stuff. Particularly when our boys come home and don't unpack for three months <laughs> and take it back today. We haven't looked at it. We all have so much stuff. And we're hearing stories of people who have left everything. And I say to God, what are you saying to me about this? It's not to have an empty house, but what are you saying? And I want to wrestle with that because he will help me and guide me and I won't get it right every time. How do I use my money? We are so blessed in this country, in this part of the country. And we need to make choices. We are in the privileged position of making choices about how we spend our money. Let's bring God into that and ask for his guidance as to how we might spend our money. But more than anything, you have given me life, life in all its fullness, life in abundance. How would you have me use my life so that I'm not running like Jonah? But I'm able to, to take up whatever you call me to take up and follow you, trusting that you know who I am, that you know what you, that what you have in mind for me is for my best, that it will bring me great joy because I will walk with you throughout my life. My prayer is that we increase in confidence of who Jesus is and who Jesus is in our lives and in our church. And that we will all be strong in that sense of knowing him as our Lord. We've just sung it, haven't we? Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Saviour's love, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all.
May we offer our lives that he might bring the strength and be the cornerstone in all that we do. Amen.